16 to 1, a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. What's going on? Hey, how you doing? Woo! How you feeling? So much better. Okay significantly better i'm feeling better too i mean we're still in I'm the down- middle of a pandemic right but aside from that much yeah i'm better i'm downright energetic i would yeah venture to say that i'm i'm willing to do more things than mm-hmm. i've ever been willing mm-hmm. to do before yeah this is our first election post-election podcast recording sesh i was not feeling this good two weeks ago no let me just say no so yeah i feel much better what are we drinking this evening fiji 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 uh bouge water and I'm drinking G Fuel. I because I'm a 14 year old boy. Need Fiji to have more responsible packaging, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that I feel better about drinking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I just that. love Fiji water. And also, we watched that special with Zac Efron where he yeah. talked about water. <laughs> yeah, and that really shaped uh, my worldview of water. Yeah. Oh, here's a pro but tip. I don't know how to drink the good water. Well, yeah. Without finding single-use plastic so for our listeners just because i really thought that that tv show episode was really interesting that zach efron show i, I forget what it's word. called it's it's on netflix it's, it's a zach, zach efron is the host of it and some other dude right is it can i just dudes? search it i'm it, gonna click yeah. really loud it is called down to earth with zach efron and he is with oh darren olean to find healthy sustainable ways to live but they go multiple places Mm -hmm. like they spend some time in italy and like whatever talking about like he's basically trying to tell you that there you can find good healthy things no matter where you are Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of like how you take care of yourself along with it isn't the italy one about the sicilian population with a bunch of octogenarians yeah because they have like the highest population of people who are yeah yeah that age and they're like how do you do it and he talks to this old man who's like a hundred i think actually or like something like that i can't remember but he was basically like oh i never stopped drinking and i never stopped eating pasta and zach afron was like you mean the first two things i cut out of my diet (laughs) but um in one of those episodes uh anna kendrick is in it with him and they're at a a place in california it's like a water bar yeah it's 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 the most ridiculous like it seems like a really ridiculous thing but but it is kind of interesting because in the episode they talked about how everyone like when you go to the store and you see a package of water and it says like it's distilled yeah. everyone's like oh that means it has its impurities removed and basically no. it's just like well i mean it is but the question is whether or not you want to have certain yes certain impurities right. removed from your water so yeah y- you don't really because there's actually good stuff in water and you um, need some of them that you need yeah that your body needs anyways this is my appeal to big oil to find a way to either one actually recycle my plastic or two for fiji to contact me to figure out how to set up a spring here set up a spring could you come just pour a bunch of your water water oh it's from the islands they're probably not gonna get it here are they i mean (laughs) dang it i I have a lot of questions about how you think spring water works but um (laughs) well there's a spring out by my parents house i think that's what i'm thinking of well sure because we could actually take bottles out there and like fill it it was really good oh we sure could but i was but it wouldn't taste like that no right that's what i'm saying yeah so i need to figure out a way for Fiji to get the the water from the islands here is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Roger to Ohio. Yeah, well, welcome to Ohio. Welcome to our podcast. This is 16 to 1. We talk about education and stuff. 
This week, we're covering a topic that is timely. And near and dear to our hearts. <laughs> In a way. So, yeah. One half of my heart. We probably should have done this one before now, but we well, had... Okay, but I have suggested this topic, and we've always been like, no, we're living it. We don't need to research it. Sure. We're talking There's about... too close to the source. We're talking about, this week, Betsy DeVos. And we're talking about her now, because we had planned to talk about her when we looked up you know when we were brainstorming show topics two summers ago yeah two summers ago we Literally. had been like oh we should talk about betsy boss and why everyone is so up in arms about her because i think at the time we were brainstorming she was doing some dumb bull and we were like i'll bleep myself there she was <laughs> she was doing some dumb stuff this week we've just decided we will bleep ourselves i mean there might be some bleeps in this i just i don't know i feel like you know a weight has been lifted and so i just might curse but anyway let it fly so yeah so back at the time we were brainstorming we put her on because we thought she's an interesting and divisive figure and not everybody understands why her appointment as the secretary of education is so problematic yeah and i think it's it became easy in the Trump era to think of a lot of problems that way. Like, they, they kind of became instantly divisive, and you picked a side, and you didn't necessarily go to the depths of understanding why you would be on that side or the other or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Because it was just a climate of divisiveness, and it still is um, in this country. But I think it's worth doing a deep dive into... <sighs> her and like <laughs> why because i think what she represents and like the problems that she brought to the department of education and her home state of michigan and like everything that betsy devos represents is not the problems are not going to go away just because she's going out of office so we're kind of talking no. about her we're giving her a little send-off because she'll be vacating the office so we're giving her this little send-off by trash talking her for a while but also well, like just explaining why it's so problematic right, right. and i think it's important to note that even though Betsy wouldn't have been my choice, her failure is not good for anyone. So, like, we're looking at something from the lens of, like, okay, I don't, you know, agree with you holistically on anything, but had she shown up and done, you know, what she should have, then I could have been like, okay, great, this is fine. But this is one of those positions where her not succeeding is only harmful to everyone and i also think she was kind of set up to fail and we'll talk about why but she was basically heinously unprepared for a job steering public schools in america she just doesn't oh oh, (sighs) we were researching this and i was kate did a lot of work finding some stuff on her background and i was like i was reading through kate's research before i was doing mine i was like oh i should go find some stuff about her background in, in education she doesn't have one there at all. There's nothing to find. It's not because there was nothing. No, I promise you know. I did my homework. Yeah, Kate did her homework, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll just go add to this a little bit, but there was literally nothing to add. So, yep. anyway. Where do we start this story? Yeah. So, I mean, a bit of framing. The heart of the controversy here, the, the real meat and potatoes of the issue is an argument that's been ongoing for a while now in American in the American school system that's just like... What do we do when schools don't do as well as we think they should? And answers to that that have been proposed kind of fall into two camps. And one is, well, we should consider privatizing public education, which means, I mean, privatizing is, I think, a little bit of a misleading word there, because in practice, what it means is that there are these privately run schools and charter schools and religious schools and other kinds of schools that are not your typical public school in America, they receive 
government funding to educate their students on like a per student basis and they aren't regulated in the same way that public schools are regulated so they're not really using the same rule book but they're getting dollars that otherwise would have gone to public education sure so one way of solving this problem is like i just talked about like set up a charter system the other way of solving this problem is stop defunding education oh i think i've Uh, heard that somewhere before yeah so there's like this uh quote from one of our sources that i found in there just like talking about um about charter schools is like by allowing experimentation proponents of charter schools argue and by breaking the power of teachers unions districts will somehow be able to innovate their way past the crushing underfunding that afflicts majority minority school districts all around the country mm-hmm. which i think is a funny take that's got to be from the times i think it's from mm-hmm. the times article that i linked so anyway the other side is like well you know what if we put if we consider education to be a fundamental right or at least at the very least, if we acknowledge that we have compulsory education laws in this country, mm-hmm. like we have to go to school. So, you know, if we at least acknowledge the very baseline. Perhaps what we should do is ensure a healthy amount of funding for the public education sector, since we expect every single kid from when they're six to when they're like, what, 17, 18 or something like that to <laughs> have an education. If we expect that, then we should probably put our money where our mouths are and fund it my, my particular take on this is that i don't i don't necessarily think that charter options are doomed to fail but i do think that unless and until we can fund public education at the level where it needs to be funded we probably shouldn't be diverting money to charter schools probably not because we should have healthy public options first and foremost and not force schools to compete for ever dwindling amounts of education funding Mm -hmm. so anyway that that's kind of the heart of the matter and the reason that that's the heart of the matter is because of betsy devos's background which or lack thereof (laughs) lack of background in education she i really liked i'm gonna back up a little bit later but I, i really liked how you put like how did she end up as secretary of education and you're like she went to school question mark question mark <laughs> so i could come because up that's with. the background her background is in, in education so she, she was she once a student attended school so anyway yeah let's just <sighs> let's just get into how betsy ended up as the secretary of education a little bit about her background her family her views can i begin by telling you what she has that um most educators will never have sure just as a reference point i would love to know is that okay to start yeah, with of course so the devos family has 10 boats one of them is 163 feet long. It's worth $40 million. That one boat, not the fleet. They have four airplanes. They have two helicopters. She and her husband have a shared net worth of $5.1 billion, and they alone have $580 million in just assets. And just for fun, she has a 22,000-square-foot summer home in Holland, Michigan, which is where she's from. It's a McMansion. It's really ugly. So, for starters, we're not really screaming an understanding of public education mm-hmm. and why is that because ain't none of us working in this here field got anything like that <laughs> let me rephrase that for you <laughs> no no i think it's quite fine because as an educator when i see that this is the lady who's passing out the money 
she doesn't know what it's like. <laughs> like, this is what this tells me. She's so far from my reality of what it's like to make, you know, I think I started off making like $32,000 a year, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Like that isn't anything that I just listed there mm-hmm. for reference. Mm-hmm. So not that she couldn't do those things and be Batman, but she also yeah. chose to not be Batman. I think this is another part of, I mean, it's really interesting to know that's what she has. I think this is part of the kind of divisive nature of stuff because people looked at that and immediately wrote her off. So I think you're right to say it's not necessarily the case that somebody with that much wealth can't understand. Oh no, that's not my problem at all. Problems. But to know these things and then in addition. <laughs> yeah. The other problem with this, and I think I mentioned it later, is that Trump's cabinet is one of the most wealthy of all time. Mm-hmm. So she fits in, you know, there. Mm-hmm. But for educators to look at her and to know she has no background in education and then to know what she's sitting on, right. it's very upsetting. And to know her staunch, you know, support of anything that is in public education. Mm-hmm. It's very upsetting. What's her... Uh, so, so part of the objection to her was kind of her family background, mm-hmm. her history of... I guess I would say like kind of lobbying interests in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, she, well, her his her family's history of lobbying. It's kind of a perfect like perfect storm here for Betsy and how she ended up with this um, opportunity. So her dad, Betsy DeVos's father, was Edgar Prince, and he created the Prince Corporation, and they were a manufacturing company, and they also then later sort of branched out into automotive industry stuff. So obviously being in Michigan, that was a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And so the year after her father died, Betsy's dad died, her mom sold the business, and it was for more than a billion dollars. So there's some pretty serious money to start with. Her dad, Edgar Prince co-founded a group called the family research council and they were an american fundamentalist protestant activist group which is basic i mean they were an affiliated lobbying organization right yes and so they've changed their mission a little bit but it it was at one point quote to advance faith family and freedom and public policy and the culture from a christian worldview so essentially what they support as far as lobbying for policies in government is that they want to, <laughs> this is not going to surprise you at all, but it opposes and lobbies against access to porn, embryonic stem cell research, abortion, divorce, LGBT rights. So they, uh, anti-discrimination laws, same-sex marriage, same-sex civil unions, and the LGBT adoption options. So they're basically saying, we're not going to give any money to any of these things, and we're actually going to speak out against all of these groups of people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's her dad. Mm-hmm. Her brother, you know a little bit more about than I did, but her brother is Eric Prince, and he was a Navy SEAL, and he was famous because he founded the private military company called Blackwater. Blackwater USA, yeah, it's like a paramilitary group, and it was... And he worked for them until 2009. Murderous. Yeah, they did kill some people um, as its chairman. <laughs> and then he sold it in 2010. But now he's in charge of this private equity firm called Frontier Resource Group. Yeah, I'm And sorry. is the chairman of the Hong Kong listed Frontier Services Group. So okay. he, not only having, you know, being Betsy's brother, has that kind of foundation, but he also has kind of ventured off into this interesting world and he was pro-Trump even before Betsy was pro-Trump. Mm-hmm. So we already have like that going. So that's just her side of the family. So now her father-in-law is a guy named Richard DeVos. 
he was an American billionaire. Uh, he was a co-founder of Amway, and he was the owner of the Orlando Magic basketball team. So in 2012, he died in 2018, but in 2012, uh, Forbes listed him as the 60th wealthy, wealthiest person in the U.S. and the 205th in the world, and his net worth was over $5.1 So that's father-in-law. And then her husband, his name is also Richard, but they call him Dick. And he basically cool. just... I mean, I don't know how to say this other than this, but essentially he used what his dad created as far as businesses and then like was a chairman and that kind of stuff. And then he, Betsy tried a few things that didn't go so well. So essentially what Betsy has here is that she came from extreme wealth, married extreme wealth, and then used that money to run her way around Michigan and was an intense figure of the Republican Party there. But Betsy, as you found, was one of the largest investors and losers in the blood testing company Theranos. Oh, I just, yeah, I threw these bits in here because I thought it was kind of fun. This is just kind of funny. Like, it's more proof that even if you're born into enormous wealth, you don't necessarily have business acumen. Keen sense of, So, like, even the things that you would think that she would be good at, which would be, like, spending money that she didn't earn, essentially, uh, she's not good at that either. She invested in Theranos, which was essentially fraud it was just the company was completely made up the claims elizabeth mm-hmm. holmes was the founder of it and she claimed she could do something with blood testing that she could not in fact do mm-hmm. and there have been all kinds of investigations and scandalous all stuff that. So anyway yeah she kept DeVos- losing money so the other one is that they the devosses were producers for a broadway run of a stage play called scandalous the life and trials of amy simple mcpherson and it was in 2012, and it was based on the life of this famous evangelist. And it was a book featured, by, <laughs> and it features a book and lyrics written by Kathy Lee Gifford, which is my favorite part of the sentence. Wow! <laughs> it ran for three weeks. Yeah, and it closed immediately. Uh, After so there's another reviews. money pit that the Devalses just... just chucked some cash at and hoped it would. I don't know. They they really are singularly dedicated to their notion of Christianity. They like, are everything. And again, I say their notion of it because my notion of Christianity as a Christian is very different from what their mm-hmm. notion of Christianity is. But anyway, essentially what this all does, though, is it gives her an extreme security to, you know, fund these things that yeah, it's a little really it's a little concerning anywhere. that nobody somebody with that much money, at least in her case, it seems like she's never really been held accountable because there's no no she hasn't because it's just all been well there's no downside if you like you know waste a couple million dollars on a broadway play that flops like what's one drop in the giant ocean you know the billion dollar whatever right yeah and that's just her and her husband so like that's just you know part of the family's wealth as far as that's concerned so not that having successful parents and the security and stuff is a bad thing but it's that what they did have and how they've used it has not been for the betterment of you know what it could have been Mm -hmm. which is where a lot of other problems with betsy yeah come up how did she end up as the secretary of education anyway she did go to school yeah, this is the part that I thought was funny. That's I was all like, I wrote. This is the part of the show where I was like, oh, well, here we will outline the path that <laughs> yeah, me made too. it clear why she became involved. In... And then you sat down on the couch and you're like, I'm going to research this. And I was like, I bet you are. I, why. I just like, maybe I just, maybe I just blocked this out of my mind nope. from when it came up four years ago when she was confirmed. But because I remember being very distraught about her at that point, but I think it had more to do with what she did do in Michigan with the charter school yeah. system there. Like that seemed to me to be pretty evident, but I, I guess I didn't at the time 
go know look. that there was absolutely no background yeah i didn't yeah. go look into her background there's none. as an educator because i assumed she had one because Mm-mm. she was so involved with the Michigan charter school system. So no, that was, was like just throwing money. Yeah. Again. <laughs> she wasn't involved with education. She just had a lot of money. That's so really- Betsy did go to school. She went to the Holland Christian high school. She was, I mean, she grew up in a private school. Yeah. K-12 she went, the whole she grew way. Up going to a private school. Yeah. And that's in Holland, Michigan, which is where she's from. That's where her summer home is. Uh-huh. Um, and then she attended Calvin college in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, it's a private religious, religious school. institution yeah. um and that was in michigan as well obviously and she earned a bachelor of arts in business economics there in 1979 and that's that's her education so she went to a private k-12 all the way through and then a private university as yeah. well on so not only does she not have an a professional background as an mm-hmm. educator she didn't even attend any public school ever. well and on top of that all four of her children graduated from private schools. And then even one of them, she briefly homeschooled because of how she said the teenagers were very catty. I mean, she's not wrong about that. No, but. she's not. But she even, I mean, she, <laughs> I, I think that's interesting, though, because normally if you're paying for, you know, mm-hmm. a private thing like this, you're probably not going to yank them out to homeschool them. Mm-hmm. But she chose to do that um, briefly. But. She's only ever also, on top of all of these things, supported financially private schools um, that align with her religious beliefs. And so she really, truly has no idea what a public school looks like or how they work because they do not align with her core beliefs and she can't throw money at it to make it what she wants it to be. That's the thing is, is like one can almost, you could almost say it's difficult to fault her for not knowing anything about public education because she very obviously like very clearly knows nothing about public education so like right the fact that somebody decided to put her in charge of public education yeah uh anyway um so another problem with her is that she really messed up michigan so in addition to using her wealth only to fund private schools she also use some of her wealth to kind of bully the state of Michigan into a deregulated hellscape of charter schools. Michigan, it's allowed 80% of its charters to be operated by for-profit educational management organizations. And that's compared to like only 16% of charters nationwide being run by for-profit companies. Hmm. And and this was like basically her experiment in, in, in Michigan. She was like, she looked at basically what was before she messed with it an average kind of middle of the pack public school system Mm. and was like you know what we really need we need school choice she strongly advocated for voucher programs and charter schools in michigan and it created this highly 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 competitive landscape but also completely diverted money away like you know there's there's a set size of the pot when it comes to educational funding and when you set up a charter system like this what you're doing is taking money away from public education and funneling it into Mm -hmm. private education therefore what you what you claim you're doing is creating competition between supposedly equal value school districts or schools or charter schools or whatever you're what you claim to be doing is creating competition there that motivates each one of these two different kinds of schools to be better than it is but what you're in effect doing is just gutting the funding of one and giving it to the other and then claiming the competition is fair 
what in fact happened in Michigan is that the charter schools that did come into existence because of this funding system tanked so badly in terms of student performance that Michigan is now in like like the bottom, I forget what percentile mm-hmm. of public school systems in or just school, you know, school performance in the country. Mm-hmm. So Michigan went from being a kind of middle of the road state to being among the worst states for educating kids in this country. And that all happened under the watchful eye of Betsy DeVos and her insistence that the way to solve school problems is by setting up charter networks. So anyway. Well, one of the other big problems with this, and this was something that was highly scrutinized anyways as Trump took office and began to fill cabinets and secretaries and things like that, was that Obama's second uh, secretary of education who followed Duncan was a guy named John King. And he was... In like historically speaking, one of the most qualified to ever fill that role. Like he had a doctorate in education, he had a law degree, he was a principal of a charter school, and he had a high and he was a high school social studies teacher in Puerto Rico. So to go, that I mean, the, the contrast is immense, obviously, because we're talking about in this case, John King was someone who had had an experience that most people who had ever done that job, you know, lacked. So if you want to compare John King to her, that's you know one of the first problems that educators had with her. But to be fair, uh, there have absolutely been other unqualified people to hold this position and other positions within cabinets. Um, but they're mostly or most normally given to someone who is a lawyer. So it isn't unheard of in the U.S. for someone like her to end up in a cabinet. But that doesn't mean it's a good choice, mm-hmm. um, especially when considering her extreme support of charter and private schools and no info or any sort of knowledge on public schools especially considering that's the majority of the U.S. education system. I mean, that's really the heart of it to me is it's just like y- you never attended a public school. Your kids don't attend public schools. Mm-hmm. You'd never have tried to fund mm-hmm. public schools. You've never you've never even really tried to understand the thing that you are now in charge of. And again, somebody made a bad choice putting her in office, right? So it's like it's almost you wouldn't expect her to succeed no. as secretary of education. So she never should have been appointed. Mm-mm. But you just, you know, it's like, well, mm-hmm. I have no background or expertise in this subject, yeah. so I probably shouldn't be put in charge well, of this Well, she subject. barely made it also because, okay, so November 23, 2016, then President-elect Trump announced that he would nominate her to be the Secretary of Education. Mm-hmm. So on January 31st, following strong opposition to the nomination from Democrats, the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions approved her nomination on a party-line vote, sending her to the Senate floor, then that nomination to the Senate floor. So on February 7th, 2017, she was confirmed by the Senate by a 51-50 margin, which means that Vice President Pence had to break the tie in favor of her nomination. Uh-huh. And that vote, that 51-50, included two Republicans, who's Collins and Lisa Murkowski that refused to vote in support of her. But this was the first time in the U.S. history that a cabinet nominee's confirmation was decided by the vice president's tie-breaking vote. So Mm -hmm. even Republicans were like, this is not the move. Other problems of Betsy, well, she had no real reason to be considered for this job. Also because, like I mentioned earlier, Trump's cabinet is one of the wealthiest of all time, which is Mm -hmm. a bunch more issues for some. But like I also previously mentioned, her brother did have ties to Trump. And so she and her husband didn't actually give money to Trump at first, uh, but they did give millions to that Senate that ended up confirming her. Uh-huh. So those are some of my issues, just to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And obviously the money that she did give did its job because well, it got her this gig. Let's get into a little bit of a retrospective about what she actually did mm. do. Yes. Um, I talked about 
Michigan, the the whole, like, this is before she was, so this is like 1990s and 2000s. She was, before she was Secretary of Education, she was doing all this stuff in, in Michigan. Um, right. To promote. Yeah. Yeah. Privatizing yeah. it. Yeah. There was like this, I just remember there's, I was looking it up and researching, there was this 2016 analysis by the Education Trust Midwest. It was a, it's a nonpartisan education policy research organization it's um it found that 70 percent of michigan charter schools were in the bottom half of the state's rankings mm. and it has the most for-profit charter schools in the country and some of the least oversight so and that's all kind of Jeez. what she was up to yeah fast forward again to her confirmation hearing which was definitely started out her tenure with a bang mm. <laughs> do you want to cover what oh, i just want the last one but i can do this okay no, no, i mean yeah, yeah so her confirmation hearing was 2017 uh for starters she couldn't address fundamental questions about the individuals with disabilities education act including whether states and you know like other places would have to comply with that like so she didn't understand she literally. doesn't understand so like what you were talking about at least with people who are lawyers who get nominated cabinet positions they, they would know answer law the questions. requirements of she can't answer law questions like they would know that she didn't know the difference between proficiency and growth and so if you're going to be in charge of education you should probably be able to know you know at least roughly what those two things mean what does that mean i would love to go up and go back and look up like how she answered questions about that she discarded around most of them there weren't too like, many but how, i mean even responses. just like outside of the educational context how do you not understand the difference between yeah. proficiency and growth um and she wouldn't ever really go into if she believed that guns did belong in schools or whether for-profit charters that receive public funding should be held to the same standards as public schools but the most memorable moment of all of this at least for educators that the I confirmation knew. hearing during the confirmation hearing was that um, when talking about if guns belonged in schools, she talked about a school in Montana that might need to might need a gun to protect themselves against a potential grizzly. A grizzly bear. Yeah. So that was her response for why so schools guns in Montana should be, guns might. Like, people should be able to have guns in schools because of grizzly bears. Well, her example was that, you know, if you're in Montana and, it's, you know, a bear walks into school, then... Sounds like a beginning of a bad joke. Or you just don't have a pot of honey to drag it out with. Interesting. You're welcome. Okay, so what did <laughs> Come she... Come on, that was so much better than you gave me credit no, for. No, I... But anyways, that moment for me as an educator, yeah. I was like, oh, this is exactly what we thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> This is exactly what everybody thought it would be, given her history of no background oh, in education. It went right. as expected. So, so basically, her months, timeline explodes yeah. immediately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So March of that year, so 2017, she has been in her position for what? Uh, let's not even call Couple it months. two months, maybe. So March of 2017, she supports Trump's budget proposal slash funding for Department of Ed by 13.5%. And that was a collective $9 billion in cuts to education, including, of course, after-school programs, career and tech ed, and programs to hire and train teachers. But what did this thing do for her? Oh, it helped build up $250 million worth of vouchers while rolling back education spending to pre-2002 levels. Now, yeah. the note does say that the Republican-controlled Congress rejected her entire request, but it still means that from the very beginning, she was already mm -hmm. attacking public education. Uh-huh. Which is a problem. Yeah. It looks like we fast forward in the timeline here a bit. We're going to end up in... We're just kind of hitting the... You know, These are the, the big best, ones. The, the big... The best hits. The best of the Well, boss. and that March 2017 one is so huge because uh -huh. we're talking about 
$9 billion they cut immediately to education. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So March 2019, in a testimony before a House subcommittee, uh, Betsy struggles to defend her proposal to cut another $7 billion from education programs. And that included eliminating all $18 million of federal funding for the Special Olympics. I remember that. I remember Which also builds like, on her not knowing anything about the Disabilities Act. Yeah, she just makes was me like, crazy. I remember that that was like a media moment when she, when everyone was like, not the Special Olympics. Yeah. Um, and that same subcommittee, she failed to justify her claim that, quote, students may be better served by being in larger classes. God. Mm-hmm. Okay, all, literally all education research that exists suggests that smaller is better. We need to decrease class size. See, this is one of the things in America that, like, decreasing funding for education has done is increase class sizes. And when you increase class sizes and don't increase funding for teacher pay mm -hmm. you have fewer teachers and more students and that means that you have fewer minutes per student a teacher can spend in a fixed amount of time and it's not good it's not good it hurts educational gains so along with trying to cut more money from special ed and preventing programs for students that are blind to be you know supported in any sort of way um but in addition to that there was the rep hayes she's from the fifth district of connecticut congresswoman uh she's a former national teacher of the year and so as part of that questioning betsy basically declined to say that she would prevent the use of federal ed money to arm and train teachers and so she had been pushed on this idea of is you know are you going to force teachers to be armed is this how we're going to uh, yeah. use our I money mean, this is the dystopia we're in this representative was just asking devos whether or not she would use federal money to put to guns do those things into yes. the hands guns into the hands of teachers and train them on the use of firearms and she, she wouldn't just say was no. like i'm not going to answer that i guess but she's going to keep cutting money from special education and students yeah. with disabilities so on to july of that was may or march of 2019 so july of 2019 the department of ed dismisses lgbtq plus student discrimination complaints and according to a report by the center for american progress under devos the ed department is nine times less likely than the obama administration was to take action on title IX complaints related to sexual orientation or gender and so that was also all because they had re reversed most of the obama era guidelines affirming protections for transgender students mm -hmm. this also built on and i think i'll mention it later as well that she was eliminating protection for students who were assaulted or raped or something like sexually assaulted or raped on school grounds or campuses or something like that mm -hmm. as part of yeah. you know there were this. a lot of title nine rollbacks yes um title nine lost a lot of its teeth under the devos yes position. and so it made students a lot more um, vulnerable people a lot more vulnerable because they didn't have that protection anymore yep. and that was one of the things that the obama era had really beefed up as far as you know protecting all all kinds of people and the way the devos administration spun this was like oh well we're protecting the rights of everyone including the accused yeah because they wanted to give the accused a chance to interrogate right. the person that had when your commander-in-chief is yes. <laughs> never mind a sexual predator yes you have to roll back protections for other people who Victims might be attacked by sexual like predation him. anyway so february of 2020 jumping ahead uh trump devos budget proposal for the fiscal year of 2021 is going to slash or was to slash education funding by 6.1 billion another 8.4 percent oh my gosh how many percentages are left yeah we already got like it was like 16 and a half or something that she proposed beginning 8.4 well, percent here but tax credits could divert up to 5 billion in taxpayer money to private schools did you see that coming? No, was I that had a surprise? no idea that that would be coming. 
March of 2020, this is a real slap in the face. DeVos moves to end the public service loan forgiveness program because, quote, our proposal is to sunset the public service loan forgiveness program. The administration feels that incentivizing one type of work and one type of job over another is not called for. I was at a district where this actually directly affected them. For Southeastern Ohio, like there were, if you were, you know, one of these types of teachers, you could have more of your your loans forgiven if you gave so much service time. And that's what actually a lot of schools use in their favor as part of a hiring technique to say, you know, if you work here for this many years, you'll get this much And again, forgiven. Th- this kind of thing, all it does is weaken the position of public, the public sector yes. for education. Because the teachers are already chronically underpaid one of it's it's like oh let's target one of the few perks that might kind of a little bit make Mm -hmm. up for the fact that you're going to be so underpaid this loan forgiveness stuff okay let's just eliminate that too okay (laughs) moving on okay so july of 2019 we do see some of these title nine complaints but may of 2020 that actual rule is changed that includes a provision that permits accused rapists to cross-examine ah okay this is what i was thinking so that was my mistake we already see it being rolled back title nine stuff in the previous year no i think you're right i think you were right i think i missed because i was like lumping in this Mm, thing but it was just like i think what i meant to say was just like the general position of attacking title nine regulations was they they claim from the beginning the whole point of it was to protect the accused yes right right so yes yeah anyway. um so and <laughs> she's really been busy so may 2020 they block emergency covid aid to daca students those are the dreamers right mm-hmm. okay so those are the dreamers uh so while the federal cares act had set aside more than six billion for emergency financial grants to college students to help them pay for whatever they needed devos specifically excluded immigrant students who desperately needed that help this is pandemic related funding yes yeah. along with that devos seizes on the chance to steer hundreds of millions of dollars in public money away from public schools and students and into private businesses and corporations so from dc devos used federal coronavirus relief funds to create a 180 million dollar voucher program for private and religious schools and has ordered states to redistribute cares Act funds to private schools but so cares act funding is supposed to be federal funding for businesses affected by coronavirus the coronavirus yes and a shutdown and stuff and she's like oh you know what i'll just like a little bit of that funding and mm-hmm. slip it on over here to the yeah so, so she, this is completely consistent with everything she did in michigan yeah there are is, no surprises here really no it's right. not like we've unearthed anything she's just playing exactly by her playbook uh-huh. the last thing i wanted to mention as part of may of 2020 is that her family gave two hundred fifty thousand dollars to promote the lies of voter fraud and mail-in ballots being at risk and that's especially important in michigan as that is a very hotly debated state right now so she was actively giving in may to help discredit the media now sowing the seeds discredit voter fraud she's she's sowed the seeds that are now being reaped because everyone thinks the not everyone half the country thinks something about the election was right and so obviously that's a perfect political play because they knew in may that there was no way everyone was going to be able to vote in person in november so her family was quick to give to that and then finally the last thing that i have included on the betsy devos timeline of bullshit is july of 2020 she threatened to withhold funding from public schools for not fully reopening in the middle of a pandemic but when asked about having a safe reopening plan she did not have an answer to that question in conclusion she sucks I am eagerly awaiting what's next. Yeah. I guess to me, like, it would seem, and again, this is just my viewpoint, but it would seem that recognizing her failure in leadership as head of our, you know, country's education system, it doesn't even have to be a partisan issue. Like, it is, but like, even in an 
even a nonpartisan analysis of this could just be like, you know what? She didn't know anything about education. She came in. She nah. thought she knew. She thought, like, I'm even willing to say that she genuinely thinks that, like, private and charter systems are what is best for students. Because she apparently enjoyed them and benefited from them yeah. her entire life, which is, like, fine. Okay, fine. You want to bolster. But that should not come at the cost of the destruction of the public school system. Yeah. Which is exactly just what mm -hmm. happened. Yeah, so where I so guess that's just, all bad about Betsy. Yeah, I mean, in that like what you said, it's not like she became the bad guy. She was like everything that she did at well, the federal level just, like, is exactly what she did at the state level. It's no different. So for Trump is, like, to have chosen her, well, she's he not even knew just exactly what she would do. Right, but I don't even think she's just the like the bad guy. I just think she's the totally unqualified guy like i mean the bad guy for public education well yeah 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 for public education she is like the antichrist figure because she everything she has done for school systems anywhere has been to undermine support for public options and to redirect support toward private options so it's just like kryptonite she's the kryptonite of the public school system she just goes into them wherever they exist and sucks all the energy and dollars out of them and she was just uniquely unqualified to serve uniquely, in the position. I like that. But she was. Phrase. She really was. She was uniquely unqualified. Incredibly unqualified, I would say. Uh, yeah. Just so we don't end this on a really dismal note. Can um, I hype up Jill? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> what comes next? How do we fix this mess? Okay. So to end on a positive note. Would you like to do that? Yeah, I would Does love that sound to. good? Do we want to? Yeah, I just want to forget like, about Betsy briefly. I do want to forget about Betsy. I want to forget about the entire point of this episode, and I want to focus for a minute on where do we go from here? What comes well, next? I was really excited to hear Joe Biden's speech uh, on Saturday night when he was confirmed or anticipated to be the winner. Obviously, as we're still dealing with that, but he made a comment during his speech that he was excited for teachers to have a teacher in the White House, and that kind of makes me choked up just to think about it because I'm so excited to have. In his case, his wife, Jill, who isn't just his wife, Jill, by any means, she's a doctor who has been a teacher and has worked in education her entire life and who still is a professor. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, she, she said will, she plans to keep teaching. Yeah, I mean, she's going to keep teaching. But so I don't expect I'm not saying she's going to fill this role or something like that. But I am just personally excited to know that you know, the, one of the most powerful men in the world has a teacher for a wife. <laughs> and so that... Um, that's not something he will take lightly, and it's something that he obviously values, and that they're the Bidens and um, the Harris and like her, you know, like all of them value education deeply. And so I'm very excited to see that just as a presence in the White House. Like I said, we have no idea who his cabinet will be. Hopefully, we don't have to have a follow up episode that's like this about this new one. But I, I'm just personally, as a teacher and as a woman, I'm excited that Joe Biden will be somewhere near it because I and I trust her work. And she's an English teacher, so what else do we need? Yeah, I mean, I think even I personally don't know a whole lot about Joe Biden. I don't think she'll necessarily have an outstanding role in biden's policy but oh, i do think yeah. that but i do think that just even being you know having your life be informed in such an intimate way by somebody who is an educator can make yeah. a huge difference so yeah. i mean he's got an actual education plan again you can even i just it seems to me like you can be excited for the future of public education in this country even in a nonpartisan way, because Biden being Biden, I'm not even all that excited about Biden as a person like politically. But the fact that he's got a plan for 
mm-hmm. funding public education that is not just like destroy it and divert all money toward charter and private schools like uh, the fact that there is a plan mm-hmm. to address a lot of the systemic inequalities that we've been dealing with for a really long time and then also to undo some of the damage that has been done by trump era policies that that heartens me yeah I, I just it just heartens me to imagine that we might stop like bleeding money out of the public education system Mm -hmm. and it's and it's kind of a low bar right to even say it's like nice to not just be losing money it'd be like the the bar really should be set at funding our education system way more than we fund it now and way more competitively with other developed countries like we just we have fallen so far behind our peers in in the world we we just don't have an education system like i don't mean like individual teachers i just mean the system itself is broken in so many ways especially compared to our peers and to me it's just heartening to know whoever would have been you know elected whoever's in office it's just heartening to imagine that they care about the public education system because it's just I keep coming back to this again and again. It sort of seems like my theme for this podcast but like if we want to treat education as a fundamental right that if we want to believe that everybody should have the option to have a good education, mm-hmm. then it's just like everything else flows from that. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just excited yeah. uh, because well, I don't, I all mean, things else considered, you know, all other things considered, it seems like there's an opportunity here to restore something right. that's been lost. Well, that's all I'm saying. I do not believe that Joe Biden will save public education, but I'm excited for there to be a voice of education in the House and I, and literally the White House, what I mean. And I mean, she's worked with people with disabilities. She has worked with high school. She's worked at community colleges. So she's really seen a lot of education that most people, like I haven't even experienced all of those things like she has. So I, like I said, I'm just excited to have somebody there who has the experience, who has the education, who has the voice for it. And so I think that's going to be at least one step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And also one last thing, Joe Biden even mentioned in his speech on when he was accepting it or, you know, announcing himself as president-elect, he even talked about uh, people with disabilities as being part of a voting population and they've never really been recognized in that way. And so to read about and to talk about now all of the things that DeVos has done to eliminate the help and support that people with disabilities needs, uh, I can imagine how, you know, exciting that must have been to hear the next president talk about them in a way that identifies them as important and that they'll be supported. So that's not a bad thing. That's for sure. Yep. Especially when our current president mocks people with, you know, disabilities. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing to me is it's just like... (sighs) We're moving on from an era where we looked down on various people, various systems, various jobs. We, we looked down as a nation the rhetoric that be- happened uh, because of what's been here for the last four yeah. years. We looked, we, it's, it's became a nation where we looked down on teachers because like, oh, stop whining. You need to go do your job during mm-hmm. the pandemic. Or we looked down on people with disabilities because we could mock them in our yeah. rallies. Um, we looked down on, you know, just just whomever. All, all kinds of people. Uh, we looked down on the public education system, which to me is a grave injustice. Like we, we, we need to acknowledge that there are problems with the public education system, but we also need to acknowledge what those problems actually are and not pretend like they're something else. So the, pro- the real problems are not that public schools are doomed to fail the problem is that they don't have the support to succeed when you slash funding over and over and over again when you don't make teacher pay competitive when you don't give 
um, students the time they need one-on-one with educators because of large class sizes when you have districts that have been historically underfunded because of things like redlining and all kinds of racial and wealth disparities. When you do, when you have a system that is plagued by these systemic issues and then you refuse to acknowledge those issues and also refuse to direct any funding to try to alleviate some of these issues Mm -hmm. it's just you know you end up with where we are now but i i I just want to say that i really do have faith as a product of you know public school system k-12 and as somebody who is you know obviously around a lot of a lot of my friends are public school teachers i just really believe in the institution Mm mm-hmm and I mean, I nice. believe in it. I live it every day, and I have absolute faith in what my coworkers and my friends and other educators do. But man, a little bit more money, a little bit more support yeah. could go a long way to help this. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. We're not asking for a lot, you know, <laughs> just some minimal support. And but that's the a, thing: is it like maybe a secretary who has spent a day in a classroom? But that's the thing: point. is it like I, I want us to be in a place where public school teachers can tell the world what they need and it can be given to them you know like i just i just with the amount of money that we spend on weird things in this country especially the military it just seems like a few just a few of those dollars could maybe be diverted Mm -hmm. to making the world a better place through education anyway last week's question fill in the blank are you ready i'm ready Last week was, or two weeks ago, our last episode was all about falling down rabbit holes. And so the question for that episode was, what was Lewis Carroll's real name? The answer is Charles Dodgson, which I did not, I really didn't know it was a pen name. I didn't either. I can't really say I don't know a very English last name. D-O-G-S-O-N. Dodgson? Dodgson. I would have said, I don't know. Anyway. Dogson. Dogson. So this week's question, you ask it. Oh, sure. So the question this week is, what happens when a voter on a punch card ballot only succeeds in detaching a little bit of perforated paper rather than fully punching it all the way through? Yes. What's that called? There's a specific name for it. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's a few variations of this. Yeah. There's also called... Well, I won't do that because it'll give it away. Yeah, yeah. We can do it next week. There are variations of this phenomenon, but this one is specifically about what happens when in a punch card ballot ballot, you attempt to make a choice and you only succeed in detaching a portion of the perforated paper and uh, a portion of it and not the whole thing. Yeah. Al Gore is still mad. Al Gore is still mad about this phenomenon. (laughs) Anyways. Okay. What did you learn this week? (laughs) I learned something the hard way. Oh, what's that? The last two weeks. I did too. That's my last. <laughs> I also learned something the hard way. So go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, we have an ag shop at school. Like agriculture. FFA. Yeah. For those in cities. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I didn't even grow up in a school that had an ag shop, but all, mm-hmm. the, all the schools I've been in since I've been working have had one. So anyways, super useful. Those kids can do all kinds of things. Uh-huh. Our uh-huh. teacher can do all kinds of things to help mm-hmm. us. So I'm on my mm-hmm. way to work. I commute 45 minutes one way. Uh, and I'm almost to school and I get the low pressure, air pressure to thing for my tire. It got cold. Yeah. Yeah. So it drops to whatever mm-hmm. I needed air. So I get to school and get a hold of the, the teacher and I'm like, can I bring my car back to the shop and have someone just put some air in it? Mm-hmm. Like, cause I was 45 minutes away. You weren't around. Whatever. Okay. So I just had to get home essentially mm-hmm. until it could mm-hmm. really be fixed. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yeah, sure, we'll take care of it. So I go get my car later in the day. He's like, it's ready to go. I park it. Okay. 
So it's a Friday and I'm going to leave and I get in my car and I've just driven out of the parking lot and it, my car has an automatic PSI reader. Like I can go through and the car can tell me actually what the tire is, pressure is. Mm-hmm. So I'm about to turn on to a major road before I get on the interstate and I just turn it on just to see what they filled it to, to see if they're even. And my Outback is supposed to have 35 PSI. Mm-hmm. My tires have been inflated to 51 PSI. <laughs> yes. It's a bit of a crunchy ride. I was beaming around, let me tell you. I was like floating, it felt like. So I call you stressed because I'm like, if I hit one little rock, I'm going to blow this thing. You're going to explode and also possibly fly into the air. Right. right. And then I'm going to take flight and I'm going to fly home. Okay, so I call you and I'm like, what do I? even two all four of my tires were at like 50 51 psi mm-hmm. so i didn't have a pressure reader obviously because that would have fixed all of my problems so instead i just had to take my car key and let out air for a minute in each tire and then get back in my car and drive in circles around the parking lot on a friday afternoon oh boy but until you learned- it was down to like a level yeah. that i could drive it home you learned something useful though and that's that you can let your air out of your tires with a key yeah Good i job. learned that Good job. i learned that you learned that you should carry a tire pressure gauge maybe in your i car. should just have well i had one to be fair and then my last car got totaled but it was in there so anyways what i learned was <laughs> i need a tire pressure gauge thing and maybe just you know next time i need to have someone else fill up my tires i just tell them the psi ahead of time good good so good. a bit of a story but uh-huh. a very valuable lesson uh-huh. for uh-huh. a friday uh-huh. afternoon because uh-huh. you know i was like ready to get home and then i get in and i'm like i'm gonna explode yeah. i didn't i'm fine now i need new tires <laughs> glad you're okay <laughs> so anyways what'd you learn oh i the learned hard something way. yeah i learned something Twice. the hard way too Shh. <laughs> giving it away I learned something the hard way too, and that something is read the product descriptions before you buy stuff online. I'm trying to put together this little gift basket, basically. And in order to do that, I needed a big, I wanted to do it in this like fancy little thing with like involving some like little wooden pallet crates, basically, yeah. like little crates. wooden crates. Yeah. I was like, oh, this will be cute. A little like, you know, <laughs> hipstery presentation. I'll put it in this little cute. wooden crate. So I, I was like browsing Amazon, looking at crates, blah, 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 blah. And I found this one. And like the price seemed about right. Like it wasn't too expensive, but it was, you know, not cheap exactly. And I was like, okay, these will work. Put them in my cart, bought them. They arrived in two days or whatever. And the biggest one is like the size of my hand. Mind you, I wanted to put like two bottles of wine things. bottles in here, a big jar of stuff. Like I, these things needed to be like you know they need space a couple feet you know of space of space in them and what i got was a couple inches it's of like space. maybe five by three inches yeah so when you're <laughs> that was from amazon our evil overlords amazon so that was from amazon and i was i did not read the product description and that was on me um but i guess i guess i kind of just assumed from the price what i would be getting because they were expensive and they're tiny little dumb boxes so anyway fast forward to today <laughs> were the bigger ones the same price Oh no, they're a little more expensive, but not that much more expensive. But you know? worth the money in, in comparison. Yeah, apparently. Fast forward to today, we had to place an online. Well, I guess this was last night, but we placed the order. We had to place an online order for groceries. I'm trying to make some pasoli, which is this really tasty stuff that, like soup stuff that we make. And one of the ingredients in this pasoli dish that I make is, is hominy. 
And I was mm. like, oh, we don't have any of that because it's kind of a you know one-off ingredient that we don't use in our particular cuisine very mm-hmm. often. We're about to. Uh, we're, <laughs> 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 we were looking at this stuff on our online grocery store ordering so we could go pick it up tonight. And when you got home, because they loaded in the back of the car because of COVID protocols and stuff. And when you got home, you opened the trunk and you found a six pound jar of six how many? Pounds, four ounces. I wanted 28 ounces. It was basically, I mean, you that's got, like a healthy size baby if it was born. It's, it, you put it next to the, si- the the gallon of milk and they were basically the same size, right? It was just oh, like. That's heavier. It's just, yeah, it's very heavy. It's it's the it's the biggest. I just wanted like, you know, a small little can. It looks like can. we bought how many at like Costco or Sam's Club. It does, but it's again. It's like the equivalent. Again, of- though, this is this was deceiving because like the price, it was like under $4. Right. For six pounds. Yeah, because when you buy in bulk, things are cheaper. Apparently so. So like I was, <laughs> but it was like we were browsing and I saw the brand that I wanted, and I was like, oh, that's the brand I always get. Just grab that one. And there's only one option for that brand of hominy. I did not look. But I even said, I was like, are you sure? Because this one is cheaper. It was smaller. And Chelsea goes, no, because we always get this brand, and I don't know how to make sure I get enough in this other brand. So now we the have brand, the other brand option. To be fair to me, because well, I need to be fair to me, right? Everyone, please feel bad for me, having made this mistake twice in a week. I, I, to be fair, I was like, we need more than just the one can of these other brands, and I always get this one brand. So let's just get that one brand. Didn't look at the, didn't look at the size, didn't look at it. Yeah, so it was cheaper because it was a what a quarter of it or something we have a can that is the size of my torso sitting in our closet now and we're gonna make 27 batches of hominy yeah you were like oh this is four times as much i'm like we've never put a pound and a half of hominy in anything at once we're gonna have a lot of hominy we're gonna have to find so here's the thing listeners you have an assignment for this week and find recipes for only hominy find us (laughs) some recipes that use hominy yes listeners Uh, please don't do we're already making pasoli so don't send us that one but if you got other recipes involving hominy canned harmony or we're all ears i'm gonna diet send it to hello at 16 to 1.com we will <laughs> gladly graciously accept no, we won't. any of your recommendations i didn't tell you about my diet it, it excludes all hominy related projects yeah. so none of that all right six pounds of hominy later that one air, new president that a new <laughs> secretary of education on its way Woo. 2021 the year of hominy get it not harmony Hominy. <laughs> Man, I mean, we should go back and compare our moods and the episodes leading up to it, and then this one. I think everyone will be like, "Ugh." I know we're finally energetic again. I'm really sorry, listeners, that we had to drag you through so much. Truly sadness. Anyways, um, things yeah. are better now. Things are better. They're looking We've up. We've learned some really valuable lessons. <laughs> I feel very qualified to uh, appoint the next Secretary of Education based on just Betsy DeVos's... Oh, no, you are qualified to be the next Secretary of Education. <laughs> Compared to Betsy, yes. Yeah. <laughs> One of my coworkers said that they were just waiting by their phone for the phone call just in case. Just in case. It's like, well, might as well be us. Can't get worse. <laughs> Good luck in your confirmation hearing, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. See you in two weeks. Bye! Thanks for supporting 16 to 1. We're trying to grow our audience, so please check us out at 16to1.com, all spelled out, and tell your friends about the show.
On our website, you can find links to follow us on social media, an archive of all our old episodes, and a contact form where you can get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next show. It's like we'd been constipated for four years and finally let out a big orange fart. (laughs) 